Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. My name is Byron Howell, and this is the Byron Howell Ministries podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about finances. And I know we've talked about money and God's economic system before, but today we're really going to try to cover the basics. We're going to try to briefly understand what the Word of God says about money and what God wants for our financial lives. And we're also going to talk about really how to get started working with God's economic system. And let me just say, you know, my dad was a CPA before he started developing real estate. And so I grew up really exposed to discussions of finance and financial situations and things like that, maybe a little bit more than the average person. And, you know, now as a real estate lawyer, I work I work for some pretty big hitters in the kind of national multifamily market. And we do we do deals on on a relatively big level. So I'm really exposed to some high finance, so to speak. And I'm exposed to you know some people that have tremendous wealth who are, you know, they're obviously wonderful and very intelligent people. So I really think about economic systems a lot and financial systems. And I think one one issue that really interests me is is that the world's economic system is actually very complex. It's very complicated. And yes, you can certainly begin to make money and prosper in a variety of ways, but can also be very difficult to understand. And even if you do all the research and you do all sorts of good things to make wise investments or start a good business, there are a wide variety of factors that can come against you and hurt you. And my point is that you know, nobody can really have a true handle on the entire world's economic system or really understand all of the factors, you know, on a macro level. And it can be very difficult. But if you contrast that with God's economic system, you know, God's economic system is actually pretty easy to understand. And it can be used by anyone. God has it available for everybody. And you can really boil it down to a few key principles. And that's one of the things I love about God, you know, is even the most deep or complex spiritual concepts can actually be explained in only a few sentences and can be understood by anyone. But uh, they have dramatic implications and can fundamentally revolutionize your life. And I just love how they'll work for anybody. They can be understood by anybody. They're applicable to everybody. You know, and I just think that's a great thing. And and that's one of the reasons that I'm interested in God's economic system is because, you know, no matter what job you have, no matter how much education you have, no matter where you live, you can begin using God's economic system and really begin to prosper. And so let's take some time today and let's try to just, you know, I'm going to try to keep my commentary uh, kind of short and to a minimum. And we're really going to try to just get through the basics of what the Bible says about money, what God's will is for your financial life, and then really understanding the basic framework of God's economic system. So that's what we're doing today. So let's get started. You know, most people have heard that the Bible contains more than 2,000 verses regarding money. And so most people understand the Bible has a lot to say about money. But the problem is very few people agree on what the Bible actually says. And when you put all 2,000 verses on the table, if you were to try to fit them all together like a puzzle, 
What do they say? Do they paint a clear picture of God's will for your finances? You know, a big problem is, is the church at large doesn't agree on that picture. And you have huge groups of Christians saying that, you know, God wants you to be poor. And then you have huge groups of Christians saying God wants you to be rich and you have everything in between. But what do the verses actually say? What does the Bible actually say? Is there really a, a clear message that's being presented? Well, the truth is that there is. And so we're going to look at what that picture is, what that message is, and then we're going to understand how to start living it in our lives. You know, I think 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are the most important chapters in the Bible about money. Now, the reason is, you know, first of all, those chapters are directed specifically to Christians. So, you know, there's no question that those chapters are about money, that those uh, chapters are pre presenting guidance for the financial life of a Christian. And they also do a great job of explaining God's will for our finances. Now, I want to go ahead and, and bring out 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says that though Jesus be, excuse me, it says that Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. Now, that might sound like a shocking statement, but it should come as no surprise when we understand Jesus's substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we learned that Jesus became sin so that we might become righteous. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5, we learn that Jesus took on all of our sicknesses and all of our diseases so that we might be healed. You see, Jesus is the substitutionary sacrifice. Every single effect of sin and death that arose because of the curse in the Garden of Eden, the original effects of sin, which includes sickness, disease, poverty, lack, uh, hell, uh, you know, the inability to have a true relationship with the Holy Spirit of God, all of those things, all of those problems, all of those curses. Jesus took all of those things, all the punishments, all the curses. He became all of those things for us so that we could be delivered from those and so that we could experience all of God's blessings, all of God's promises and the true type of relationship that God wants to have with us. So again, since we're talking about finances today, he became poor so that we might be rich. And let me just say that some people might argue that that verse is not talking about money, but that's wrong. That's incorrect. Please read the chapters for yourself. The whole section's about money. It is absolutely talking about financial realities and and in the way that Jesus became poor, whether he was poor during his earthly existence or he just became poor in his death and sacrifice on the cross. None of that really matters. At some point, he became financially poor and that was part of the substitutionary sacrifice. Again, literally taking on the curse of poverty so that we can receive the blessings of prosperity. Now, again, don't, you know, we don't need to stop right there. And that may be a radical idea for some of you, especially if you've been in the camp or you've been listening to the people who say, you know, God wants everybody poor or something like that. You know, don't just hear me say God wants you prospered and stop listening now. Let's go through it. Let's see. Let's see what else we can get from the word of God today. But when you look at Second Corinthians 8 and 9 and you really understand, you know, it says God is able to make all grace abound towards you 
that you would always have all sufficiency in all things and you can abound to every good work. See, the truth is that God does want us to be financially blessed and he wants us to connect our salvation and our spiritual life with our financial life. Now, that, again, also may sound like a radical statement, but by talking about how Jesus became poor so that we might be rich, God shows us that, in fact, there is an important relationship between our salvation, between our spiritual reality and our financial lives. So why? Why does God want us to have money? Is it so we can live in mansions and sit on the beach all day and drive Lambos? I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with Lambos, the beach, or mansions. But that's not why God gives us money. That's not why God empowers us to prosper financially. The primary reason God wants us to have money is revealed in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8 and 11. And I'm just going to read it again. God will generously provide all you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. See, God wants you to have all your need met, needs met. But he also wants you to be enriched to the point that you can always be generous. He wants you to have abundance not just so you can stockpile for yourself, but so you can be a blessing to others. When you share what God has given you with others, they will understand it's actually coming from God and they will glorify him. God wants everyone, in fact, to have enough. He loves you and wants you to eat the good of the land and enjoy all the good things available in life. You can look at Isaiah 119 and 1 Timothy 6:17 on that. He also wants you to help others in his name on his behalf. Look at 2 Corinthians 9.13 or 1 Timothy 6.18. This lets others see his love for them and it helps them rise up so they too can increase and then help others. It's time to believe God for wealth, not just for ourselves, that's greed and wrong, but for God's kingdom and God's people. God wants us to enjoy life and his blessings free from lack and financial concern. So how do we start integrating our financial and spiritual lives and seeing God's will in our finances? How can we get to the point where, like the verse says, God generously provides all we need and we always have plenty left over to share with others? See, that's a good statement for God's will for your life. So much, so blessed, so prospered that you have plenty left over to share with others. And I continue, yes, quote, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. See, God wants you enriched in every way so that we can always be generous. You know, I want you to take some time to review the Bible, the Bible's verses on money. If you Google them, if you use Bible search software, whatever you do, it's pretty easy to start pulling together a list of the Bible's verses on money. And you're going to get a pretty clear picture very quickly. God wants to bless you financially. That's just the biblical truth. But God also wants you to give him some of your money. I think 
Those are two of the clearest statements we can make as we review what the Bible actually says about money. God wants to bless you financially, and God wants you to give him some of your money. Now, why? Why is that? The idea of giving some of your money to God is where many people have problems, especially because they have often heard that teaching from a preacher. And but just just bear with me. Just forget about the preacher now. Just focus on the Bible. Here is the key. God is not telling you to give him your money because he needs it. God does not need your money. If you are interested, you could look at Psalm 50 verse 12. God says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. That's Psalm 50 verse 12. When God tells you to give him some of your money, whether it's through tithing, offering, whatever, he does not need your money. Rather, he's inviting you into his economy. God's true works including your church, hopefully, including, you know, God's various kingdom endeavors around the world. I just think of schools for Haiti uh, that I'm involved with. I think of New Life Warehouse. That's a, a blessing to our community here in Tampa. I think of various orphanages in Africa and things like that. You know, these are the true works of God. God doesn't need your money, God is going to supply for them. Now, that doesn't mean they don't use money. The The world runs on money, essentially. But my point is that if you don't give your money, it's God is going to continue his works. God is going to provide for what he's doing, no matter what. And, and I want to make sure you know that as we approach the Bible's teachings on money, especially on giving, that we aren't giving because God needs our money. We are giving to identify our finances with the kingdom of God. We are giving to honor God, and we are giving to begin operating in God's economic system. Here's the truth that we have to just get established in our minds. Giving to God is the only mechanism by which his financial system will operate in our lives. That's just the way it is. But rather than getting annoyed about this or rejecting his system altogether, we need to understand that God designed the best possible financial system. In God's financial system, you have a blessing now and empowerment to prosper, and you have God's help and assistance every step of the way. But we need to bring our money to him to integrate our financial and spiritual lives. That's kind of the key step. Now we need to understand that when we bring our money into God's financial system, it is like planting a seed that produces a harvest. That is a dominant um, framework that we need to keep in mind. Sowing and reaping seed time, and harvest. While there are several ways that we can biblically you know, bring our money into God's kingdom, for example, tithing, gifts to the poor, general offerings, so on, they all function in God's system of seed time and harvest. Keep in mind that God's financial system 
primarily works by seed time and harvest. When, when we give to God, we are sowing seed that produces harvest. <clears throat> so let's see that concept in God's word. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. You see, helping the poor, giving to the poor, is a type of seed, and God will bring you a harvest on that seed. Malachi 3, 10 through 11. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. See, the Bible makes a few things abundantly clear. God wants to bless you financially. God wants you to give some of your money to him, whether you're giving it to his church or one of his other kingdom works or one of the other ways he directs you to give. But God's going to receive those gifts and he's going to receive them as seeds and he is going to give you a harvest on those seeds. This is how his financial system works. This is how he empowers us to prosper. This is how he blesses our finances. He brings us harvest on our seeds. Now, to start looking a little bit more mechanically, we could categorize the various ways we give to God as follows. Tithing, gifts to the poor, first fruit offerings, and general offerings. And we'll discuss each of these briefly. And let's start with tithing. Now, tithing can be a very controversial subject for a lot of reasons. But again, let's just focus on what the Bible says and what we can learn from the Bible. Let me just start by saying that while tithing is mentioned in the Jewish law, in Leviticus chapter 27, for example, the practice does not originate in the Jewish law. In fact, prior to that, you know, from time of old, tithing was the customary tax for the king. You'll see that in Genesis 14. You'll also see that very interestingly in 1 Samuel 8, 15 and 17. This custom of giving the tithe to your king was established long before the Jewish law. And when we tithe, it appoints God as the king of our life. Now, I appreciate you may never have heard that before, and we don't have the time to do an exhaustive study on tithing today, but this is the truth. And I encourage you to read Genesis 14 and 15 carefully. It's a fascinating story, and it's the origin of why we still tithe. Now, look, some people tithe because they've been told that they're going to be cursed if they don't. Or that, you know, that it's a legal requirement of some kind that Christians tithe. But that's not true. Tithing is a type of seed that we can sow that brings wonderful harvest in our lives. And tithing is also 
one way that we honor God as the king of our lives. In Genesis 14, again, I encourage you to read this carefully. Abraham has now, you'll see, he defeats a bunch of kings in in a battle. And in that moment, he is established as the most powerful leader in the region. He immediately takes his spoils and gives a tenth to God. So let me just restate that. Abraham defeats a bunch of kings. He is then established because of that victory as the top you know, ruler in the region. And he immediately brings his tithe to God's priest in the area. He, by doing that, even though he's the local ruler, he submitting himself and bringing the tithe to God, establishing God as his king. And also very fascinating, we immediately see the very next thing God says to Abraham in Genesis 15, God accepts this appointment and God says, yes, Abraham, don't be afraid. I am your shield and your very great reward, protection and provision. So I encourage you to look at that. But again, tithing establishes God as the king of our lives. We don't tithe because it's it's required. And remember, there there is a verse about being cursed if you don't tithe in Malachi 3, but that no longer applies to Christians. We're not under those curses anymore. According to Ephesians, we're blessed with every blessing that exists, and there's no more curse for us. So you're not tithe, excuse me, you're not cursed if you don't tithe. You're not going to hell if you don't tithe. Uh, rather, tithing is just a blessed practice that you can do a way that you can honor God with your finances and invite God into your economic life. Let's look at Malachi three ten through 11. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be not, that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Again, tithing brings protection and provision. Tithing establishes God as your king. Tithing is a major way that we can begin bringing our finances into God's economic system. And, you know, it is true now. I mean, this is a beautiful reality. There were, under the Old Testament law, curses associated with people who did not tithe. But that's not applicable to Christians anymore, and we really need to understand this. You see, as Christians, Jesus became the curse for us. There's no more curse for us. We are completely forgiven. We are completely righteous. We are completely perfect in the eyes of God. And these curses aren't applicable to us. However, we also get to participate in the promises. So we get the good stuff, we get all the good, and we get none of the bad. <laughs> that's, that's the way Jesus took all the bad for us. That's the beauty of it. So these promises, we can begin operating them. And if we do tithe, we can sow that seed and reap this harvest of provision and protection. Again, tithing integrates God and his economy into your financial life and establishes God as the king of your life in in a way that I'm not sure anything else really can. And, And I'm a big believer in tithing. I've I've been a tither 20 years my entire working life and um 
And I just, to be honest, I, I don't really have any other explanation for my financial life. You know, the mistakes I've made, the things I've uh, done, but all the blessings we've received. You know, I look at my life, how, how, God, I've been a tither. And I'm not taking credit. I'm not bragging. It's not about that. I'm saying that I've been a tither and I've seen the promises of God manifested in my life. I've reaped this harvest on my tithe. And so tithing, just so we understand it mechanically, is 10% of your income giving given to God. Now, as for me, I keep it simple. I get a thousand bucks. I immediately give God a hundred. I just 10% right off the top. Based on my personal reading of Genesis 28:22, I encourage you to look at that verse, Genesis 28:22. That's where um, Jacob begins to tithe as well. Uh, I I look at that verse, and for me, anything I receive in my life, I deem it that I received it at God's hand. Even if somebody else gave it to me, even if my client gave it to me, or you know, whoever, my wife, whatever. Anything I receive in my life, I receive it from God's hand and I tithe on it. That's how I handle my business. That's how I handle my finances. And frankly, I would encourage you to do the same. I really think that's a blessed approach to your finances. And, and I think Genesis 28, 22 helps guide us in that direction. But I get it. You know, 10% may sound like a huge number, uh, especially if you're, new to giving or you know you're not giving anything or or you've been taught otherwise what have you so look just start somewhere start with one percent start with two percent and and start praying about it trusting god believing god and the simple reality is this your 90 percent with 10 percent given to god is going to go farther do more and be blessed rather than 100% when you didn't give 10% to God. I'm not saying it's a crime. I'm not saying you're going to get cursed or punished. Please, I didn't say any of that. But what I'm telling you is I would rather have my 90% with God's supernatural empowerment and my 90% integrated into God's financial system and you know in place to receive all God's economic blessings. I'd rather have that than the 100% without these blessings, without the harvest that I can receive because I've tithed correctly. So, and I really believe you'll see that in your life. So so that's tithing. You know, obviously people have written books about tithing. You spend hours, but that's tithing in a nutshell. Now, now let's talk about uh, giving to the poor, just generally. Again, it's not a legal requirement. You're not gonna be cursed. You're not gonna go to hell if you never give to the poor. But God wants us to be mindful of the less fortunate as we consider our finances. I think Leviticus uh, 23 verse 22 is very interesting. And I'm just going to read that to you now. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not make a clean reaping of the corners of thy field when you reap. Neither shall you gather any gleaning of thy harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So what is he saying? Let's pretend that you have a 10 acre field of whatever, blueberries, right? Uh, and you go and you were in those days gathering in your harvest. Well, basically the idea is here 
that you are not supposed to worry about getting every single blueberry in your basket. That in fact, you're supposed to leave some and, you know, and anything you missed, all of that, that is for the poor and you are supposed to leave it specifically so that they would have an opportunity to, to share and receive and be blessed. I really think that's a great point as we look at how we should handle our finances for the poor. Yes, I have an overall harvest that I bring into my storehouse. And yes, of, of the full harvest, I'm going to give God 10%. But I'm also going to have some of my finances available to give to the poor. And as we go through our lives, as, and you may have seen this, you probably have, opportunities are going to come to be generous. You know, it just in my life, for example, Schools for Haiti, uh, uh, there's a lot that they do with some poor people in Haiti. New Life Warehouse, again, not to, you know, belabor it, but they do some wonderful things for some needy people here in Tampa. Grace Family Church, we have a lot of different ways that we bless people. But, uh, you know, something else that my family participate in is, um, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name, but Grace does a thing where we can help give Christmas presents to less fortunate families, right? So as you go through life, you have opportunities to to bless the less fortunate, to help the less fortunate or the poor, and we should be ready to do that. And I'm going to read a couple of verses now that are really instructive and very powerful. Proverbs 19, 17, again, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. He will repay you. Now, listen to this. This is Deuteronomy 15, 10. Give, this is talking about the poor. God says, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. That's a very powerful verse there. That's a very powerful promise. And I don't know about you, but but if sowing the seed of generosity to the poor is the seed I must sow to receive the harvest of God blessing me in all my work and everything I put my hand to, well, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to sow that seed. I want that harvest. I'm ready to do that. And, and again, I want to identify all of my finances with the kingdom of God, with God's financial system. So I'm going to be ready to distribute to the less fortunate. Again, as with tithing, giving to the poor invites God's blessings into your financial life. See, this is a very, very interesting subject that we really need to keep in mind. Yes, I might be giving to children in Haiti. Yes, I might be giving to a needy family in Tampa. Yes, I might be giving specifically to someone less fortunate. But when I place that money in their hand, God receives it as a seed into the kingdom of God's economic system. And God now obligates himself to bring a harvest on that seed. Now look, that's powerful, probably controversial, but it is the truth. When God sees our generosity to the poor, God himself steps in and starts looking to bless us financially. What a wonderful truth. What a powerful reality. 
And I'm telling you, as we're going to, as we see, as we're talking about today, God's financial system is wonderful beyond words. And, you know, maybe the statement that the only way to start working with God financially is to start giving God some of your money. Maybe that's an off-putting statement. Maybe you don't like the sound of that. But I tell you what, the blessings that God has for us, the financial system that God has made available to us is so wonderful, is so powerful that it it makes it exciting to give. It makes it fun to give. You know, I'm excited to to share what God has given me with others. And that doesn't mean, and you, you know, you know me, I'm pretty candid here. You know, it doesn't mean I never have a selfish thought and I'm never worried about finance. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect in my financial life. I would never suggest that. But I can tell you that I've, I've learned through experience that, that operating according to God's financial system and God's financial directions definitely brings the protection and provision of God over your life. Look, so give to the poor, be ready to distribute. And you know, and I'm not saying, before we move on from this, I'm not saying that you should run out and immediately find a bunch of, uh, you know, opportunities to give to orphanages or whatever. Don't worry about that. Don't, you don't need to do that. As you go through life, um, be ready. Be ready to communicate. Be ready to distribute. I'm thinking of these verses that the Bible has. Be, be ready to participate. All right? Because they're going to come. You know, I remember this guy I knew in high school. I couldn't believe he did this in a way. But there, I wasn't saying there's was anything wrong with it. But, you know, this guy on, on, from my high school, he just came and he said, you know, um, he, he put it on Facebook and he said, hey, I've, I've really hit a hard time. If anybody can help me, I, I really need it. You know, and and in that moment, I haven't spoken to this guy in many years. I, I don't have any relationship with this guy. But I felt the Lord move on my heart with compassion. And, and I gave. It probably surprised him. But whatever. You know, that doesn't matter. Here's what you're looking for. You're looking for the Holy Spirit to direct your heart in your giving. Now, tithing, it can be somewhat mechanical. Uh, but in this area of giving to the poor, because let's face it, there are so many opportunities be listening to God, have an open heart, and when you see an opportunity, check with the Holy Spirit. Especially, you know, I think about some of the people I know who are who are quite well off. I mean, they get invited to a fundraiser after fundraiser, event after event, and you know, there can be a lot of pressure. Man, I was praying with somebody about this just the other day. You know, this 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 person I met came into some money, and man, he was really getting pressured from all sides. Um, that, that can be tough. That can be difficult. But you know what? You got to shut that down. Don't worry about that. You don't, don't need to think about that or worry about that. You let the Spirit of God direct your giving because giving to the poor brings amazing harvest into your life. All right, let's keep going. Now let's talk about general offerings, okay? General offerings... You know, yes, you could say that tithing and gifts to the poor, you could you could say, oh, those are forms of offerings. Okay, okay, but we're trying to get a real f solid framework here, and we're talking about general offerings. So those are not gifts to the poor. They are not tithes. Those are free will offerings kind of over and above your tithes, all right? So that's the term we want to use. And, and in general offerings, we really need to associate a seed time and harvest or a sowing and reaping mindset 
with general offerings. All right. And 2 Corinthians 9, 6 should be at the forefront of your mind here. And I, I quote, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, that is a fascinating verse. It applies to every area of our lives. But today we're talking about money. And I want to make one quick point. If you sow sparingly, it's not that God kicks you out of his financial system altogether. Again, if you don't give, if you sow sparingly, to use the term here, then okay, that's your right. You're not going to hell. You're not under a curse. God's not, you know, up there in heaven ready to strike you down or crush your business or anything like that. But you're only going to reap sparingly. Imagine that you have a giant field like my dad. My dad has, uh, you know, a bunch of acres and a tree farm. And I grew, we kind of grew up there. We moved out there when I was 15. It was terrible. We didn't have cable. I had no idea what was going on. But anyway, he still lives there. So my, uh, he has a tree farm. Okay. So he has this piece of property. Let's pretend that he only sows seed on a small section of the property. He only tries to grow trees on a small section of the property. Well, that's not going to produce a very big harvest, right? And if you drove out there and you saw trees in only one little section, you would say, hey, hey, man, why don't you plant trees everywhere? Well, I mean, why not, you know, why not get a few more seeds and plant trees everywhere? Because think, think how much more you could grow out here. Well, that would make sense, right? So if I go to my field, and I only plant a few seeds, I'm only going to have a small harvest. But if I go to my field and I plant a bunch of seeds, now I'm going to have a big harvest. And I mean, you know, I'm having one of those moments like, well, no kidding, Byron, this is great revelation. But, you know, let's just I think sometimes it helps to state the obvious so we can get a mental framework here. Right. You want a big harvest? Then sow big seed. That's the way it works. Big harvest requires big seed and it's a big field out there. It's a big world. And I don't care if you don't have two nickels to rub together. God is going to show you seeds that you can begin sowing. I heard Bill Winston had an amazing story one time about his wife and they didn't have a lot of money and she was believing God for a new job. But they had some friends that were in a worse place than they were. And she made some soup for them. And and that was a seed that she was sowing as she was believing God for a new job. And then uh, God brought her an awesome new job. My point is this. Maybe you don't have a lot of money. Maybe you don't have a lot of cash in the bank. Maybe you don't have much. But God will help you find something that you can sow as a seed. So we need to begin thinking about seed time and harvest because that's the dominant system in God's economy. We need to think seed and harvest. And I want to think big seed if I want big harvest. <clears throat> now let's look at 2 Corinthians verses, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I feel like the people 
that really say that God wants us to be poor and every Christian should be poor should spend a little more time reading that verse. But anyway, I'm digressing here. Notice that it says God brings us the seed. God supplies seed to the sower. Maybe you don't feel like you have any seed right now, but God, who in Matthew 9, 38 is called the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest will show you seeds that you have now. And the Lord of the harvest is going to supply and increase your store of seed. And as I go through life, you know, let's say I, I hear about an opportunity or I hear about someone in need or I feel like God is telling me to sow a seed or give or something like that. I want to keep in mind that everything I have came from God anyway. I made that point earlier. But, you know, I have X number of dollars in my bank account right now. And, um, you know, just as pretty much we all do, right? If you have a bank account, there's some amount of money in there. I want to keep in mind that it all came from God. And some of it might be seed that he has brought to me. And if the Lord of the harvest tells me to give, he's not only given me the seed, but he's thinking about my harvest. I need to have a seed time and harvest mindset with my giving. And I'm not saying we only give to get, but just bear with me. We'll come back to that point a little bit later. So now I want to say something that it may be a little bit radical, but I think it's very, very important. And this is kind of what I I believe as I study the word of God. Sowing general offerings is the most important mechanism by which we can level up financially and truly move into higher and higher realms of God's economic system. Tithing and gifts to the poor, as we've seen, bring very powerful and important harvest into our lives. And I believe as you tithe and give to the poor, you're going to see your financial life increase gradually, nicely over time. And that's a wonderful thing. However, I believe that truly operating in seed time and harvest where we give, where we sow bountifully, right? Where we sow bountifully, that's the best way that we can level up financially, where we can really begin moving into the higher realms. Because the only way to reap bountifully is sow bountifully. And this is really a different mechanism. This is a different financial operation from tithing or giving to the poor. So if I want to reap bountifully, if I want to move to the next level, I need to start sowing. I'll just tell you a very short story. Uh, Over a year ago, God told me to start doing something, start sowing a seed, start giving something. And, and it was, it was a number that was a new level for me. It really was. And, and all I can say is that, you know, we, that's a, it's a monthly thing. Um, God has provided it for him himself. And we've seen tremendous, you know, we've really seen harvest on that seed. You know, it's really been a wonderful thing. So I want to be mindful when the Lord of the harvest is telling me to sow a seed. He's thinking about, my harvest. He's thinking about my financial life because I've integrated my finances with God's financial system. And I just want to be crystal clear. I've, I've probably made every mistake that exists for a person to make. 
Uh, none of Christianity came naturally to me. I am not bragging in the slightest. When I, you know, my kids were interviewing me for a school project the other day, and the question was, you know, what's the dominant personality of trait trait of God when you think about God? And mine was mercy, because I think of all the times I missed it or messed up. So please don't hear me bragging. Please just hear me trying to help us understand these various financial systems. So you want to be sowing and you you want to be listening to God because he is going to teach you how to sow. He's going to bring you seed. He's going to show you where to sow. That's giving over and above your tithes and gifts to the poor. And God wants every one of us. Let me be clear. This is very important. Every one of us should move to the place where we are sowing bountifully and reaping bountifully. I want to say that again. I don't care where you are today. God wants you to begin sowing. And over time, the size of your seed will increase and the size of your harvest will increase. And God is going to hear me. Hear me. I feel like what I'm saying is, is very important, very powerful. God is going to continue putting pressure on you, not in a bad way, but in the same way a coach might say, look, put another plate on that bar. You're stronger than that. Let's go. You need some more muscle. Or, 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 you know, a teacher might say, look, you can really do better than this. You need to, you know, take on another book. Read this additional book. You know, a good coach, a good teacher, someone who's trying to bring you to the higher levels in your life in out of their love for you, out of their interest in your personal development, they are going to put pressure on you to grow. God is going to do that with you because every one of us should get to the place where we are sowing bountifully and reaping bountifully because God wants us to see true financial blessings in our lives. Why? So that we can be blessed and so that we can operate in God's kingdom to bring his blessings to others, which again brings them closer and brings glory to God. So sowing and reaping should become your predominant mental mindset when it comes to your finances, rather than the world system of saving, investing, and hoping for increase. Again, don't hear me wrong. I'm not bringing condemnation on anybody that just, you know, because saving is a good thing. Investing is a good thing. Uh, praying and believing God for increase is a good thing. But, but that's how the world does it. And we as Christians, as kingdom minded people, we need to be operating and sowing and reaping. This needs to be our primary financial mechanism. And, you know, nothing in the world's economic system can compare to God's economic system and how God can increase you financially when you begin listening to God's directions. You know, as one man said, you can't have enough jobs to get the wealth that God really wants you to have. And his point is that you need to sow for it. You need to operate in his system. But why? Why would God want you to have great wealth? Again, it's not just so you can store it up. No, God wants you to rise and shine and show his love to the world at major levels with your relationship with God, with your ability to help people understand the word, with your witness for Jesus, but also participating in God's economy and generously blessing others financially. So the last type of offering that we're gonna discuss, we're gonna call a first fruits offering. Again, please, please don't hear me talk about this and say, Oh, you know, I'm just trying to 
I don't know, get you to give all your money to the church or we don't really need to do this or this is not a legal requirement. No, I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying that that this is another kind of offering we can give to God, another type of seed we can sow and another another mechanism by which we can integrate our finances in God's economic system where we can actually have a financial life that that flows from God's financial system, not the world's financial system. That's really what we're offered. What we're after. Exodus twenty three nineteen says, "The first of the first fruits of thy land, thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God." Romans eleven sixteen says, "For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy." So, without going into excruciating detail here, here would be my advice. If you start a new job or you start a new side business or you have a new income stream, then you should consider a first fruit offering to God. I remember the first time I got legal fees and, you know, it was a certain amount of money. And I said, all right, God, what's the what's the right first fruit offering for this? And he said, I should give half of it as a first fruits offering. And so that's what I did. But maybe it won't be half. Maybe it'll be some other number. Just spend some time, pray about it, see what the right thing is. But remember the verse from Romans, the first fruit be holy. The lump is holy. See, I want, if I have a new income stream, I want to give God the first from that income stream because I want his blessing on that entire income stream. And I also think it's appropriate to give a first fruits offering in the new year. Again, none of this is a legal requirement, but, but, you know, I really want, look, I want God's blessing on my year. I want to have, um, you know, I want to identify my entire harvest, my financial situation for this year. I want to identify this season with God. And so I'm going to pray about if there's an appropriate first fruit offering for this year, for this new income stream, what have you. Again, I think that's something you should pray about, and I think it's something you consider. But I firmly believe that the first fruit offering does invite an important financial blessing on our year, on our income stream, on you know the various aspects of our lives when we do it, when we operate according to these verses. So um, let's let's now take a couple of minutes and discuss the accusation that when we really try to understand biblical economics or God's financial system, that we are only giving to get, or that we are trying to greedily manipulate God's system for our own gain. And I just want to address that point kind of briefly. You know, because of how my parents raised me, I've been a tither and giver my entire working life. Again, that is not in any way to brag. I made every mistake. And I certainly feel selfishness and greed and fear and all those things from time to time. And I've got to deal with that. And you know how I deal with that? I spend a few minutes reciting the promises of God. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God makes all grace abound towards me. Uh, God makes all grace abound towards me. And I always have all sufficiency in all things. And I abound to every good work. I mean, uh, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil. That's in Proverbs. Anyway, we could go on and on, but there's a lot of financial verses. And when I'm feeling fear or when I'm feeling greed or any of those things, 
You know, I sow bountifully and I reap bountifully. That's another one of my verses. I remind myself, I stir myself up. Uh, I strengthen myself in the Lord through the word of God. But, you know, uh, if you are only attempt, so, so again, let me say this. If you are only trying to work in God's financial system so that you can increase your own holdings, it's not really going to work for you. You see, greed at the heart level will block you from hearing God's financial instructions. Greed blocks the Holy Spirit from moving on you with financial compassion. Greed is going to block you from giving correctly. You see, uh, God is love. Faith works by love. Love is the most important commandment. If you don't walk in love, you're not going anywhere with God. And love and selfishness, because remember, love, agape, it's a selfless love. It's a self-sacrificing love. True biblical agape love and selfishness are polar opposites. And so walking in greed, walking in selfishness is going to prevent you from operating in these systems correctly. It's not going to work for you. Rather, um, and this is a great, great understanding that I want you to come to. And, and I hope you can, you know, really adopt for your own life. I want financial increase because it is God's will for my life. And it's God's will for your life too. We want finances because God wants them for us. And God wants them for us. Uh, be, because God wants them for us, I must do with my finances what God wants me to do. I must trust God if I'm going to get finances his way. I must trust his word if I'm going to get finances the way his word tells me I can get them. If God says tithe, I got to tithe. If he says give, I got to give. I want more so that I can do more for God. And let me just say, you know, I understand that there is a fine line between wanting more for me and wanting more because God wants me to have it. But as fine as that line may be, God understands that line. And when you submit your life to God, remember there's that verse is, you know, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. As you pray to God, as you submit your finances to God, as you begin giving, your heart is going to move more and more towards the things of God and towards the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual principle. It's a spiritual reality. I can talk about it, but you kind of got to experience it for yourself. And you get to the place where it's no longer a struggle. It's no longer a fight. Giving becomes easier. Tithing becomes easier. You get excited about it. And truly, you begin to want finances because God wants them for you. And you're not just lying to yourself. You're not just kidding yourself. You're not just saying it to saying it. In your heart, you know that God wants the best for you, but God also wants to use you as a distribution center for his people to show his love to others. Maybe I'm digressing a little bit. I definitely don't want to bloviate, but these are really important points that I summarize as 
I want finances because God wants them for me. And that's true for every single person on the planet. And yes, I will say, I want nice things for me and my family. We all do. That's a totally reasonable thing because that desire comes from God too. That's the father heart of God. I want good things for my children and God wants good things for his children. God loves us and wants us to experience the best the world has to offer. That's Isaiah 119. And truly, that can only be experienced when you have integrated your financial life with the economic systems of God, when you have allowed your spiritual reality truly to have an impact on your financial life. You see, here is the true genius of God's economic system. This is why it's the best of all possible systems. It's so wonderful. You see, God's economic system provides the path for you to increase, for you to glorify God, and for you to bless others all simultaneously. This is the deception that people think or people might argue that if I just took every single penny I have right now and, I don't know, deposited it in the orphanage's bank account and lived the rest of my life as a pauper, that that would be honoring God. But in fact, that is not the way God's financial system works. God's financial system works by me working, me doing what God tells me to do, me putting my hands to the plow, and God increasing me. And as I increase, I give. That glorifies God. It blesses other people. The more I give, the more it glorifies God, the more it blesses others, the more when they get blessed, they're not looking at me. They're glorifying God for what he brought into their lives. They know I was just a tool. They know I was just a vessel. And I'm just using myself here, guys. I don't have another example. I don't want to talk about somebody else. But my point is, that's God's will. That's the economic system. You increase you bless others, you glorify God all at the same time. And while you are increasing financially, so are others. And so is the kingdom of God at large. While you are learning to increase, while God, remember there's a verse that says he teaches you to profit. While you are learning you to increase, you're also learning to give generously. And all the while, you are drawing closer to God and blessing other people. Look, we may never get to the point where we are completely immune to the occasional financial fear or selfish desire. But God knows that, loves us anyway, and wants to help us. The more we operate in God's economy, the more God will use us to bless others, and the more we will feel his generosity and compassion. As we continue operating this way, the more we learn to trust God, the more we experience his financial system. And as we grow, the more we will want to give and the more we will truly want to increase, not for ourselves, but for him, knowing that we're going to get blessed. But ultimately, he's the one that's going to be glorified and all of us myself included, the people we give included, the church, everybody, we are all through this financial system going to be blessed and draw closer to God. What 
a fascinating reality. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. Look, let's sum it up. The Bible is clear that God wants to bless us financially, but God doesn't want to just rain money down us from heaven, although we all would think that'd be nice sometimes. But the truth is God wants us to learn and operate in his economic system, his system of seed time and harvest. God is the Lord of the harvest, and he gives us various seeds that he wants to uh, wants us to sow. These seeds further God's will in the earth and bless others. And from these seeds, God's going to bring wonderful and powerful harvest into our lives. The harvest, not only do they bless us financially, but they bring more seeds to sow so that we can grow. The sides of our field increases. We get more harvest. We sow more bountifully. We reap more bountifully. We bless others and we all give glory, glory to God. Tithing, gifts to the poor, offering, first fruits. They're all forms of seeds that we can sow. None of them are legally required, but they all invite God's blessing into our lives and the lives of others. Your spiritual reality and your salvation should have a tremendous impact on every area of your life. In fact, every area of your life needs to be integrated with your spiritual life. God wants you to integrate your spiritual and financial lives. God wants to work with you financially to see all of his promises in your life, including his financial promises. If you want God's will for your life, which is increase, study the Bible's teaching on money, begin sowing these financial seeds and standing in faith for these financial harvests. As I've said, in God's amazingly brilliant economic system, we increase financially, bless others, honor God, and draw closer to God all at the same time. My friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. I pray that this message blesses you. I'm always happy. If you ever want to email me, call me, whatever, always happy to discuss it further. I love you. God bless you. And thank you again.